0: Well, I want you to get your Bibles, I want you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 7. This past week I was, uh, I was hanging out with some uh, some pastors of similar sized churches, I was in Dallas, Texas on Monday, and um, we were talking about about just pastoring churches like ours, and one of these pastors made an analogy that I thought was very, very uh, true, and um, he, he talked about churches like this being like aircraft carriers, and how that... that an aircraft carrier you know it goes out on a mission and if you've ever seen an aircraft carrier well there's one aircraft carriers i mean look at all the planes on that aircraft carrier they're they're going out on a mission whatever that mission may be but if they're deploying those planes and if an aircraft carrier is not deploying its plane then it's not completely fulfilling its mission and that's what we're trying to do here at westridge church is we're trying to deploy you out of here to break down your walls so that you can get on mission as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ. We've been called to lift out the mission of Jesus in our community and in our world. Now, we talked about this several weeks ago. Um, and I want to just kind of go back to it for a moment because it's, it's important. Um, what is the mission of Jesus? What, what was it? Well, in Luke chapter 4, he unrolled a scroll and began to read from, uh, began to read from Isaiah 61. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And um, we we explained this verse in in week one. We talked about how that when those those listeners and hearers of this word, they they had a different picture in their mind of what the Messiah was coming to do, that he was actually going to. Uh, physically heal people, that he was going to set people free from actual prison, that he was going to release them from Roman oppression, and yet what Jesus came to do was to bring hope and to bring redemption to mankind, to provide an opportunity for the lost to be found and to uh, reestablish our relationship back to God. Now he did some physical things too and he did heal a lot of people and he did look out for the poor and, and, and this and that but but that was his mission and he said in Luke chapter 19, 10 he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then he made a very bold statement in John chapter 20, verse 21. He says, As the Father has sent me, he says, I am sending you. Now this series, as we've already talked about, is called Life Without Walls. And the purpose of this series is to identify the walls that are holding us back and through the power of the holy spirit to remove those walls in our lives so that we can be on mission with jesus and um we we have a link we've set up a link on our website called um life without walls and then it's slash my plan and uh, you can see it up here on the screen uh and the my to my right on the bottom hand right, right hand side over there but the um one of, we've had some folks who've been sharing some stories on that, and a couple who just really touched me. One is a few weeks ago, the first week of the series, I, have, I was approached by a couple college girls, and they said, Listen, a few weeks ago we were watching this BBC uh, broadcast, and did you know that in Glasgow, Scotland, 82% of the people there are, are under poverty? And I went, No, I didn't know that. And they were like, We're just deeply moved by that. And we're just, you know, and my, my heritage is Scottish, and so I'm listening to what they're saying. And, and, and I'm listening to them share the story. And this is what I normally do when people approach me and things like that. I just go, what are you going to do about that? And they're like, and I said, seriously, you need to pray that God will move you to, move you to take a step. Well, they posted on the wall that they're starting a nonprofit to go to Scotland to reach those people who are under that poverty level, 82% of them. And then, then I saw another one from a lady who lives in our area. Um, who lives on 26 acres of land And she's been training to be a medical missionary and, and her thought was that God was training her So that she would be going somewhere far away Possibly overseas to do medical missions And as a result of being in here over the last few weeks She now feels led to start something on her property Here in this area To be a home for um, children who are handicapped Children in foster care Children who, who are orphans Right here in this area And I'm looking at this going These are people who are getting this and then last Sunday, I stood out in the atrium, and uh, Steve stood out in the atrium at the West Campus, and I just said, I want you to show me the, the, the name that God has put on your heart, and I asked you to write it on the palm of your hand. And so many people just walked up to me, and they showed me a name, or they showed me a cause. People had the loss. they had homeless, they had... Um, they had prostitutes in Atlanta. I mean, there were so many things that people just walked by and they just showed me their hand and I just said, I'm praying for you. And, and it was just amazing that so many people were, were moved and you felt compelled to engage whatever that was with the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. And last week we talked about the importance of prayer and we talked about how we need to be praying that God will, will, will put that person or put that cause on our hearts. And we need to ask God to remove the walls in our, in our lives so that we can engage. we need to, to also say. We need to be saying. We need to be sharing the message of Jesus with people. Be bold. Ask God for boldness and courage to, to speak from our lips the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, and the life-changing message. And then we need to also stay. We need to stay in that friendship, stay in that relationship. Even after if, if God's used you to lead them to Christ, you need to stay there. So that you can help disciple them and to help grow them. But when you look at the ministry of Jesus, we see him over and over again engaging, hurting, broken, lost people. And oftentimes, he would break cultural and religious walls down to do it. He would break the rules. He tore down the walls of of culture. He tore down the walls of religious prejudice. He tore down the walls of, of bigotry and racism and fear and indifference. He, he tore down the walls of pride to be able to show compassion to hurting people. And a great example of that is in our text this morning in Luke chapter 7 where we see Jesus engaging a widow with compassion. In verse 11, it says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. This is just a very ordinary day in the life of Jesus. He would, obviously, as you, you know the Bible, he would travel from town to town and here he is, he's traveling uh, to a city south of Nazareth where he was from to a town called Nain and his disciples in large crowds were tagging along. Verse 12 says, he approached the town gate. A dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And so here you've got, you've got two crowds now. Two large crowds. One following Jesus. The other one is traveling with this lady. They're coming outside of the gate. Jesus is go, trying to go in the gate and they actually meet they meet each other. And this is a this is a, a funeral procession that is, is following this lady. Back during this time, um, when Jewish people would die, they, they would be buried outside of the city gate. And they would be buried on the same day that they died. And as a sign of respect, people would, would drop what they were doing and they would go to, a, go to the burial. Now, I want you to think about a couple things. First of all, when we think of roads sometimes, we think of like 92 or 41 or 278. And we think of roads with lines. No, this would have been a, like a dirt road. Maybe like a cow path coming out of a single gate, and these people were coming out. Trying one was trying to get in the gate, the other was trying to go out the gate. Large crowds, and they converged upon each other, and so all of these people coming outside of the gate were were honoring this woman and her son. They may not even have known her. You know, here in Georgia, we do something that I love when a funeral procession is coming down the road towards us. What do we do, or what should we do? (laughs) We should pull over as a sign of respect. And um, as a pastor, oftentimes... Well, not oftentimes. Every time I'm doing a funeral, I'm the the car behind the hearse. And it's the only time that I get to legally run red lights. So that's the only good thing about it. But I I want you to notice in this story that here's this widow. Okay? And she has one son. And the son has died. And as you can imagine, this would have been a very emotional, intense day for this woman and her family and friends. And this is important to remember. When you think about the story, widows were reliant on their sons not only to protect them, but to take care of them. Widows were not wealthy. There were no widow's benefits during that time. There was no government assistance available. Women in general were not property owners back at this time. they, they were matter of fact, uh, they oftentimes were seen as property. They were not income uh, earners. And so this son... This only son, her, her, his job would have been to care for this mother until she died. And now this woman has nobody. She doesn't have a husband to care for her. And now she doesn't have her son, her only son. And so it's quite possible that the next day, not only would she potentially wake up hungry, but she could have woken up homeless. Mo- most likely, she is now completely dependent on the compassion of the people around her that live in the town with her. And she's in a very tough spot here. Look at verse thirteen. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said to her, Don't cry. Now the crowds converge, and, and, and Jesus encounters this woman. And she catches his attention. And is obviously, I mean, she's crying. She's overwhelmed with emotion. And she's probably wailing loudly. And that, that day, I mean, not not only her son didn't her, didn't her her son die, but I'm sure that when she woke up that morning, she didn't anticipate the the idea that she was going to be dealing with a funeral on that very same day, but that's what's going on here. Most likely, she and her friends would have had to um, prepare the young man's body for burial. They would have washed his body, they would have wrapped it in funeral cloth, and then um, they would have immediately taken that body to the family burial site, which again would have been outside the city gates. And so this would have been a very intense moment. It all happened on the same day. And her grief would have been off the charts... And Luke tells us that Jesus' heart went out to her. Now, Luke actually gives us a medical term here to describe Jesus' emotion. And what you need to understand about Luke, the writer, is he's a physician. And so oftentimes he would give us medical terms. And so when he talks about Jesus' heart, he uses the word, the Greek word, um, splagna, which actually means bowels or large intestines. In other words, Jesus had compassion for this woman welling deep within him for her. It came from when, within his innermost being. He felt, it, it, it felt deep compassion. It captured his heart. Now, when someone dies, we may feel sympathy. We may send a sympathy card, but this is not what's going on here. Jesus didn't express sympathy. What he expressed was empathy. And empathy means that that I feel your pain. Emotionally, I'm putting myself in your place. Jesus was moved to compassion. I want you to look at verse 14. It says... He went up and he touched the coffin. And those who were carrying it stood still. Now, when you hear the word coffin, we have an image that goes through our mind. Because we've probably all been to funerals and we think of a nice pine box or whatever the, the box is built of. Or, you know, or whatever the, the structure is. Maybe it's not wood, it's something different. But that's not the correct picture here. Th- this young man's body would have been wrapped in cloth. And it would have been, been carried on either a stretcher or a board. And Jesus comes up and he does something that was culturally and religiously out of bounds for a Jewish person. Especially a rabbi. He touches the coffin. And most likely he touched the young man's body. Now, you need to understand, this would have stunned this crowd. Thrown them back. They would have been shocked. Because Jewish law said if someone touched the body of a dead person, they would be ceremonially unclean for seven days. They would not have been allowed to go into the synagogue for seven days. They wouldn't have been allowed to make a sacrifice for sin for seven days. People would have actually avoided that person for seven days. But yet, here's Jesus. He's so moved to compassion that he was willing to break the cultural and religious rules of the day to engage this hopeless, helpless woman. Now, I want to take a moment and I want to ask you a question. When you see a hopeless Or a hurting person in the world around you? Are you moved to compassion? Does it touch your heart? Do you feel a sense of empathy? Or do the walls in your life cause you to actually avoid them? I'm not talking about feeling sorry for someone. I'm talking about feeling their pain to the point that it causes you to take action. Are you a person that is so moved to compassion that you are willing to tear down the cultural and the religious walls that may be in our life to engage those in need of hope that are in our lives? When I was in student ministry, um, I had a, a young man who was actually in my... I'm not, when he was in seventh grade, he was in my youth group, and I was for two years a middle school pastor, and then for several years I worked with high school, high school kids. And um, my, my wife, Amy, was a school teacher. She actually taught this boy... And uh, he, was just a, he was such a sweet little kid, he, uh, he, he had blonde spiked hair, he had glasses, and he looked like that little cartoon character, Chicken Hawk, the Foghorn Leghorn, and um, but just, just a neat little kid, and he would, I remember him, he would carry his family Bible to church. I mean, he'd come into church, youth group had this huge Bible underneath, his, and then he disappeared, just disappeared, went off the, didn't see him for a long time. And one day, Amy and I were going to a movie, and we, we saw this kid standing up against this wall of the movie theater with all of these friends. And, and it was like, whoa. And Amy goes, that's, that's Josh. And I said, no way. And she said, yeah. Now, you've got to understand this, the, the, the picture I just described. This kid, he had black hair, he had on white makeup, he had on mascara, his lips were painted black. He was in a black, long black clothes, and all of his friends with him were wearing black. They had chains around their necks. They had spikes around their arms. I mean, it was, I mean, it, it was quite the sight. And, and they still call these kids this today, but back then, we, these were kids that were called goths. They were gothic. And so I walked up to Josh, Amy and I, and we talked to him, and, and immediately I could see the hurt in his eyes. I could see the pain. And he had gone through a really tough family situation. And it pushed him not only out of church, but it pushed him away from you know, his, his normal friends and God. And he just he was with these kids. And I said, Josh, man, I miss you so much. And we talked about Josh, come back to church. No, no, no. Well, he did. Wednesday night, he shows up. And he's the only one. And he's sitting there. And all of these kids that actually had grown up with him, no one's engaging him. Sitting by himself. And so afterwards, I said, Josh, bring your friends with you. And he's like, they're never going to come here. And I said, bring them. So the next Wednesday night, they all show up, about six or seven of them. And, I mean, it was a crazy sight. I mean, all black. I mean, the the crazy hair, piercings. I mean, it was just total Marilyn Manson looking, if you know what that looks like. And they all sat together. And what was so interesting about these kids is they would stay in. They started coming. They were there every Wednesday. They would stay for a while during the music and whatever else we were doing. And when I started speaking, they would walk out. But they wouldn't leave. They would sit outside the door and listen to me. And one of my workers would go out and go, why don't you come on in? No, we're going to stay out here. We can hear him. We can hear him. And so I, I talked to Josh, and I got to know a couple of these kids. And, and, and one by one, we started seeing them come to Christ. And I decided to do something a little off the charts for our very large, conservative, very conservative church. I invited these kids to come to Wednesday night church dinner. Now, I did this for a reason. I wanted, to, I wanted to bring them into the culture of our church at large, but I wanted to see how our church would respond to this. And they responded just like I thought they would. I mean, and it was, I'll just paint the picture for you. I meet these kids outside the big gymnasium. They come dressed just like they are. One guy has a girl. He's, there's a girl with a chain around her neck. He's leading. He's got her by a chain. He's leading her, okay? They got the spikes on. They got the whole deal. We walk into spaghetti dinner, and I'm telling you, it went silent in there. Completely silent. People were like spaghetti hanging out. I mean, it was crazy, all right? We sat down with these kids. They know they're out of place. They, some, some of them didn't mind them. I mean, it was like, no, that's what we're here to do, shock people. And so, but what was amazing is we watched these kids one by one trust Christ. We watched, we get to baptize several of them. It wasn't about anything they were wearing outside. God began to take care of some of that stuff. And it wasn't that there was... It wasn't even the issue of their clothes or whatever. It was they were trying to fill a void that only Jesus could fill. And can I tell you something? If you're going to ever engage anyone like that, anyone outside of the box, anyone who doesn't fit within the boundaries or the mold, if you're going to engage people with the love of Christ, you have to look past all of that outside stuff and you've got to be able to see the hurt and pain that's in their life. There is a void that only Jesus can fill, and we try to fill that void with so many things, but you have to move past that, you have to move past your walls and you have to move you have to have compassion and you have to lovingly point them to Jesus and that 's what Jesus is doing in this story. Look at what happens next. he says in verse 14 he says, "Young man, he says, "I say to you, get up." Now the dead man, whoops, sits up, and he begins to talk, and Jesus Gives him back to his mother. Now, to everyone's amazing—I mean, amazement—and I think we would all have been shocked. I mean, think about being at a funeral. Woo! This, sitting straight up, he's talking, and imagine the crowds. I mean, the crowds were blown away; they were totally in shock. And Jesus, he feels this woman's pain. He feels her hurt. He touches the body of this dead young man, and he takes a risk. He breaks the rules. He breaks the rules of Jewish law for the sake of compassion. And again, my question for you this morning is, are you moved with compassion to engage the hurt and the loss that are around us? Statistics say that the average person goes through a time of struggle or a time of tension in their lives every six months. That means that that every one of us within the next six months, we're going to face something that's going to cause us some degree of emotional pain. It might be an illness. It might be a death in your family it might be a loss of a job a loss of a family a divorce situation Um, it might be a disaster a few years ago we had a hurricane that came through um, the Gulf Coast Seaboard and right through New Orleans and over 2,000 people lost their lives last year we had a tornado come through Alabama and then make its way through Georgia people died in Tuscaloosa and Birmingham and little communities were completely devastated and moved through Ringgold and, and those areas up there and just just leveled things and 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 we were struck by that what that all that means is it means that every day we're surrounded by people who are hurting they are they are struggling they're experiencing some kind of difficulty every day we encounter these kind of people and when jesus encountered this woman she caught his attention and the question is do hurting people catch your attention or are they just a blur are we, are, are we moving at such a fast pace That we just blow right past these people Without blinking an eye Or do we actually turn a blind eye There's a video um, Some of you may have seen this And I'm not recommending that you go to it But I, I want to tell you about it There's a video on YouTube There's a little girl She's walking across a street in China And she gets hit by this vehicle she's, I mean she's down And the vehicle stops And it takes off and hits her again and then all of a sudden, another car hits her again. Now, what's so crazy about this video is that 18 different people walked past her and didn't do a thing. You can count them. 18 different people walked past this little girl and did not engage. And when you see it, I'm telling you, it's shocking. I showed it to some of my staff last week, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Now, that's a, that example is extreme. But we look at something like that, and we go, how does something like that happen? Well, we got to go back to week one of our series and talk about walls. We some of us we don't do things about thing we don't engage because of fear. We're we're intimidated by a situation. I'm 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 not going to touch that. Or 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 maybe it's just apathy. We don't really care. We're on our way somewhere. I mean, it's like someone else will grab that one. Or 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 indifference. We don't want to get involved. We don't we don't we realize it's going to cost us something to engage. It's going to cost us maybe maybe it's going to cost us money. Or maybe we're busy, we're just too busy, we've got to get to work, I have got to punch in. And so we are moving as fast as we can and we're looking at situations and people all around us that are hurting and we go, someone else will grab that. Here's the fact, we are surrounded by hurting people all the time. You don't have to look far. You might have a family in your neighborhood, I prob- probably you do, I bet you every one of you in this room, and I know we do, if you live in a neighborhood, you have a family in your neighborhood that's lost their home in the last few years. You probably have somebody who lives next door to you or around you that's gone through a divorce. Over 148 million orphans live in our world. And we have we have a guy in our church named Craig Parsons. Uh, he several years ago started a ministry called Warehouse of Hope. We've been partnering with them for years. He I interviewed him this past week in our staff meeting and he now he started in his in his backyard in his shed giving out food and now he feeds and, and helps, engages over 900 different families a week. A few years ago, he was in Nigeria, and he was traveling with some Westridge folks and a guy named Isaac Egbowole, who's part of our church, and he was walking down the street, and he, he noticed these kids who were orphans, and, um, and many of them were infected with HIV. And God just laid it on his heart to start an orphanage, and now he has an orphanage in Nigeria with about 19 different kids who are all HIV infected, it's fully staffed, fully, I mean, it's an amazing, I mean, that's, a, I mean, here's a guy that just took a risk, broke down some cultural walls of distance, of different culture, and just took a risk. How about the elderly woman that lives in the, down the street from you? Who can't, she can't take her care of a yard. You look and you drive past her, her house and you see her grass is growing, you see her house is falling apart. What do you do with that? When, when you see a homeless person on the streets, what, what, what's going through your mind? Over 600 homeless children live in Paulding County, where, where we're located right now. What does that mean? It means that they don't have a permanent address. What do you feel when you hear something like that? That's what I love about Todd and Julie's story. They had, they had children. I mean, they're grandparents, right? I want to make sure make it twice. I love that. And they're bringing kids who are basically foster kids who are homeless, who, are, who, who are, look like they're in hopeless situations, into their home. When you hear me mention that over 22% of, of Atlanta it lives under poverty, what does that do to you? When, when I read last night in the New York Times that one out of three Americans are now living below the poverty level or the level right above it. We've not had statistics like that since the Great Depression. 18% of, of, of people in, that live in America are not in church on any given Sunday. Or, I'm sorry, 18% are in church. That means that 88% are not, or 82% are not. Here in our community, 88% of our community is not. In the Bible Belt. What does that do to you when you hear that? We've talked a bunch about this amazing opportunity that we have on, in, a, in a few weeks on December 10th. Hope for Christmas. We're going to get a chance to minister to over 6,000 children they're bringing their parents with them. They bring grandma and granddad with them. They bring people with them. And they're going to be in our building, West Campus, Cartersville, Bethany Christian Church. I mean, we, we get to engage the probably the most hurting people in our community on one day. Listen, if we're going to be on mission with Jesus in our community, in our worlds, our hearts have to be moved by what moved Jesus' heart. What moved his heart? Lost, hurting people. Some of you remember um, this name, Several years ago, there was a lady by the name of uh, Madeline Murray O'Hara. In the early 60s, she filed a lawsuit that ended up becoming the factor that removed prayer out of public schools. And in 1965, she was voted by Life uh, Life Magazine at the time, the most hated woman in America. In the 90s, um, she disappeared along with several of her family members. Just disappeared. And in the, early, in the mid-90s, they, they found her body and her family members. They had been brutally murdered in Texas. And they discovered her diary. And there were several times in her diary where she wrote these words. Someone, somewhere, love me. I wonder if her lostness captured the heart of anyone. I want you to know that even though she may have been the most famous atheist over the last 50 years, and it, it was probably her actions that led to prayer being removed from public schools, listen, she moved God's heart to compassion. Because in Romans chapter five, verse eight, here's what it says. It says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's heart was not only moved by Madeline Murray O'Hara but his heart was moved by you your sinfulness a few years ago in, it was 2007 There's a guy named Matthew Murray he walked into a YWAM facility youth with a mission in Arvada, Colorado and he shot and killed two people and wounded two others got back in his car drove down to New Life Church in Colorado Springs big church down there and with an AK-47 and a pistol, he just began to just shooting people. Just killed two sisters, wounded the father, wounded two others, and um, a security guard in the church actually shot and killed him. And I mean, it's a sad day when you have to have security in a church, but that's what we've come to. But on the back seat of this guy's car, there was a letter, and it was written. And on the top, it says "Letter to God." This is, the actual, this is the second page of this letter, and I want to I put it up on the screen, and I want to read to you a few lines from this letter. Here's what it says. Can and will Jesus help me? Jesus, if you are able to show me the true way, I want to be free from this lifelong pain. Why didn't any changes occur, anyone love or, or help come when I accepted you as Lord and Savior? I wish I knew the truth. And then he asks this question. Am I too lost to be saved? See, I think we're surrounded by people all the time that are asking the same question. Can and will Jesus help me? Does Jesus actually care? Does Jesus actually love me? Does anyone love me? Am I too lost to be saved? And what do we do with people like this? Who are so outside of of what we consider to be normal. Here's what we do. We engage them with the compassion of Jesus. And I wanna tell you, no one is too lost To be saved. And Jesus models it for us in scripture. He shows us exactly what it's like. To love for and to care for lost. Hopeless hurting people. And he calls us to do. For others what he has actually. Already done for us. And this week. And maybe even today. You're going to run into someone that's hurting. They're struggling. They're lost. And the question is. Will you. Allow your walls to keep you from engaging or will you be like Jesus today and will you be moved to compassion? One of my favorite movies of the last few years is a movie called The Blind Side. It's a true story. It's about a couple that, um, outside, a very wealthy couple, this this guy owns several Taco Bells and uh, they lived in in a very wealthy area of Memphis and uh, their kids went to a very predominant white collar Christian school and uh, there were, there was two African-American children that were enrolled in the school and, and basically for sports purposes. And one of these kids was a, a young man by the name of Michael Orr. Big, big boy. And uh, he actually, uh, I'll show you a picture of him in just a moment. But he, um, this this family is driving down the street and they see this boy walking. And this lady, Leanne Toohey, she engages this boy. And they actually bring him into his, into their home. And they have him live with them. And then they... Uh, and bring him, invite him to Thanksgiving dinner. He's actually in the, in the family Christmas picture, which created quite a stir in the movie. Very predominant, white, upper-class family. And this boy who lived in one of the most dangerous, uh, poverty-stricken areas of Memphis, and they ended up actually adopting him. But I want to show you a clip from this movie, because I think it really, it, it really speak, it spoke to me, and I know it'll speak to you if you haven't already seen it, of I think of an important principle of what I'm talking about today. I love that clip. Sandra Bullock, who plays Leanne Toohey in the movie, she recognizes and realizes that that her act of compassion wasn't just changing Michael Orr's life. And by the way, Michael Orr, um, went on to play at uh, Mississippi, Old, Old Miss, I believe. And now got drafted in the first round by the Baltimore Ravens. He's an offensive tackle on the left side, which is why the reason the movie's called The Blind Side. But this, this young man right here, if somebody hadn't been moved to compassion, he probably would be either dead right now or strung out on drugs or homeless in the streets of, of, of Memphis. But because of this family, because of this woman... And the willingness of this family, they they were moved to compassion, they engaged them. And she said, that boy's changing your life by these upper class, white, snobby women. And I call it like I see it. And Leon, too, he says, no, he's changing mine. See, one of the benefits of reaching out to people who are hopeless and lost is not just so their lives can be changed, but also that our lives can be changed into the image and into the likeness of Jesus. And in order for that to happen, sometimes we have to be willing to help someone that is different than us. And it may mean we have to break down religious and cultural walls that have prevented us from reaching out to certain types of people. As I close, I want to go back to the end of the story of Luke chapter 7 for a moment because I want you to read what happens when Jesus decided to allow compassion to move him and to reach out to this widow and her son. Here's what it says in verse 16. The people that were watching this, they were filled with awe and they praised God. And they said, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. People started talking. The news began to spread about this miracle that took place on this day. The word began to spread about the compassion that Jesus showed on this widow and, and her son. And, and I'm also sure that, that news spread how Jesus broke the rules. When we as a church, when we as a church truly love Jesus because of, what he has, because of what He has done for us, and truly engage hopeless, helpless, hurting people with the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ to the world around us, listen, we're going to be filled with that same kind of awe. It will cause us to praise God, but it's also going to allow word to spread about how gracious and loving and how life-changing. Jesus can actually be, how an engagement with Jesus, an engagement with the gospel can actually change someone's life, change the whole course and the direction in which they were heading, not just in the present, but in the future. As a church, are we going to be moved to compassion by the people that are around us who are lost, who are helpless, who are hurting? Who are trying to fill a void that can only be filled by jesus will we be the hands and feet of jesus i want you to bow your head for a moment father my prayer for westridge church this morning is that our hearts would be moved to compassion for the lost that our hearts would be moved with compassion for the hurting that are in our community in our world we, we pass them every day we might be sitting next to them at the in, in the cubicle at work. This, this guy or this lady who's struggling, who's going through a relational issue, or who's just realized that uh, a mom or dad has, has been stricken with cancer. Maybe it's, a, it's a, a, a mom or dad that we hang out with who, who are just having such issues with their children, and, and they're overwhelmed by it, and they don't know where to turn. It might be um, that widow that lives down the street from us, Lord, who can't take care of her own house. Maybe her children don't engage. They live far away, and yet she, she just wants to try to make it on her own, and yet she just, she's struggling. Maybe it's that, that, that young man or that young lady who is trying to fill a void in their life, and they're, they're, they're trying so desperately through shock value, hair, piercings, clothes, Tattoo, whatever that stuff may be, Lord, just trying to fill a void. To just and it's and it's it's like a, a billboard saying, "Will somebody love me? Will somebody fill this emptiness inside my life?" It might be, Lord, that you're calling us to be like Todd and Julie or to, like Dan and Tracy Cummings in this church who, are, who have brought so many children into their home as foster parents. Or, Lord, maybe it's an orphan here in the United States or around the world that you've called, Lord, to bring into our home to engage them with the love of Jesus Christ. Maybe the person sitting next to us in church right now. Lord, help us to take down these walls that cause us to miss the people around us that that truly do move your heart and help us to truly become the hands and feet of Jesus. Whatever those walls are, Lord, whether it's fear or pride or apathy or a cultural issue or religious issue or prejudice or, or racism or bigotry or whatever that may be, Lord, apathy, indifference, whatever, tear the walls down. Help us to engage with the gospel message, the changing gospel, the the, the never changing message of Jesus Christ, which is the only message that can truly fill that emptiness and that void and cause someone's life to be changed from the inside out. Lord, help us to be that church in Jesus' name.